morning. The first is in Exodus 1, 1 through 14. These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob. Excuse me, please rise. (laughs) (laughs) These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply center for the king. The more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. The next is chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cries rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. You may be seated. Thank you, Brad. How are we doing this morning? Good? Good to see you guys. Thanks for being in church today. Glad you're here. Love it when you're here. Uh, We are starting a a new series for this fall, and we're just calling it Exodus, um, based on the book that we're studying. It's the second book in the Old Testament, um, Exodus. And whether you realize it or not, you were born in the middle of a battlefield. You don't see it because it's not a necessarily a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle, but you were born as a human being in the middle of this battlefield, and the battle is between good and evil. And if that sounds too dramatic to you, it should not, because every human being is either being enslaved by evil or has been set free by God. It's the only two categories. As we live today, you and me, you are either enslaved by evil or you have been set free by God. This was true 4,000 years ago, and it's still true today. And this word Exodus, uh, from this book that we're studying, the word Exodus, it, it, it means, you could define it a couple of ways. It means like to escape, or it means a way out, or an exit, any of those work. And that's what we're gonna read about. This fall, we're gonna read about God's people who escape, who get out of their captivity in Egypt. But it's not just about them getting out, it's also about learning how how we get out. 
Because, see, the reason we're taking the time to study this book is because uh, the Exodus is this great metaphor for the spiritual journey, the journey from spiritual bondage to freedom in Christ. And at some point, every Christian has to leave behind their old life. Let me say that again, because I want everybody to hear me. At some point, every Christian has to leave behind their old life. So as we read this story, we're gonna be able to see our own story playing out on, on the pages. Now, in the ancient Jewish Haggadah, which is just a, a book of, of Jewish lessons and wisdom and teaching, there's this great line that says, in every generation, a person is obligated to view himself as if he were the one who went out of Egypt. And, and for the Jewish people, this was such an important idea that, that every generation should embrace the Exodus. That, we, that, that they don't say, they don't say that um, God brought them out, they say God brought us out. It's seeing ourselves as the people who are being rescued, seeing ourselves as the people who are being saved. And so I don't wanna belabor this point. You know, it's the first week of a series, so I'm gonna spend a little extra time up front explaining some things, but I, and I don't wanna belabor the point, but I have to spend a little bit of time on the point because it's an important one, that, that the story of Exodus is a true historical story. It really happened. We can, we can prove it uh, archeologically. Is that the way you say it? Yeah, we can prove it. We know who the Pharaoh was that they were talking about. We know where it happened. We can prove that this happened um, literally. But it's also the central story used by Israel and the Psalms and Jesus and the Christians for thousands of years to describe our spiritual journey. I don't know how much you've read the Bible, how much time you spend reading the Bible. I would encourage you to try to do that a little bit more. But as you read it throughout the Old Testament and especially in the Psalms and even when Jesus is talking, they use this, the Exodus. They, they talk about how uh, as God brought them out, so he brings us out. Or as God provided in the desert, so he provides. Or, or um, they, they use um, the way that God showed his power against Egypt, so he displays his power. They, they use these stories of the Exodus as the kind of metaphor or the, or the story, the, 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 the idea for all of our spiritual journey. Thousands of years, this is how the, the church has used this story. And it is about our journey out of sin, our journey out of captivity and into a life with Christ. Now, back in the, uh, the second or, or third uh, century, there was a theologian named Origen of Alexandria and he, he contributed so much to, to Christian literature. But really his, his claim to fame was that he gave us kind of this framework for how to read the Bible, a way to interpret the Bible uh, that was new at that time and really has kind of stood the test of time. And he gave us four ways to, to read the Bible, especially when we're reading the Old Testament. The four ways he gave us, in case you were wondering, you're a nerd like me, you wanna know this stuff, is literal, moral, allegorical, and anagogical, which means nothing to you, but this is what he was saying. He was saying that when you read the Bible, there's gonna be a, a literal historical meaning. It's, it's exactly what the author meant. It's it's telling you what happened literally. There's a moral lesson that you can read. So as you're reading it, is there, is there something in there that helps me to live my life 
a moral lesson for my life. But then when he, the allegorical is, is there anything in there that tells me something about Jesus or, or points to Jesus? And then the anagogical uh, uh, origin said, is that you read the Bible and you look to see, is there anything in there that points to the overarching story of God and eternal or afterlife? All right. Now, the reason I tell you that is because over these next several weeks, as we're reading Exodus, we're just going to kind of weave back and forth in these four things that as we're reading it, sometimes it's just going to be historical lessons and other times it's going to be moral lessons for us. And other times we're going to see so much of Jesus. Can I, I'll just give you one example that the people needed to deliver and God sent a baby who came out of Egypt just like Jesus, who was a deliverer, came as a baby. I mean, there's just so many ways you see Jesus. And then, and then we're also going to see how the people coming out of Egypt represents you and I. They're going to their promised land. Eventually, we will go to our promised land. So we're gonna weave back and forth into all this, and you don't need to worry about it, and I'm not even gonna announce it. You'll just kind of get it and pick it up because you're smart, and, and, and you'll get that, right? But as we kind of are starting this journey together, what I want to do is I want to read you a few verses um, from chapter 6. And we're going to get to chapter 6 in a, in a few weeks, but I want to just read you a few verses from chapter 6 today because it's going to help us kind of know where we're going. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's a conversation that God had with Moses. It kind of sets the table for all uh, that we're going to talk about together. Exodus chapter 6, just three verses, verses 6, 7, and 8. They're going to put it up on the screen for you, but this was God speaking to Moses, and this is what he said. He said, therefore, Moses, say to the Israelites, so Moses, I want you to tell them this message from me, from God, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land that I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Now, here's why I read that to you. Because those three verses that we just read, still to this day, for Jewish people are called the four I wills. They still use these and quote these at Passover to this day. And in these passages, God made four promises to these people, and the promises that he made to them are the same promises that he makes to you and to me. Throw that back up on the screen for me, guys, if you would. This is what, this is what God told Moses to tell the people that God was going to do. First, God says, I'm going to bring you out. I will bring you out. The second, he says, I will free you. Then third, he says, I will redeem you. And then last, he says, I will take you as my own people. I'll bring you out. I'll free you. I'll redeem you. I'll take you as my own people. And if we wanted to kind of paraphrase that for, for us and where we are today, here, here's what God's saying. God says, I have a plan for my people. And here's my plan. I'm gonna bring you out, which is, we could say that's God saving you. And then he says, I'm gonna free you, which is God changing you. So for them, he was gonna get them out of Egypt, but the next step was to get Egypt out of them. They had a way of thinking, a way of life. Then he says, I'm gonna redeem you, which is helping you discover like why you were created back to your original creative purpose. And then he says, I'll take you as my people. He was just saying, I'm gonna know you personally and intimately and walk with you and, and guide you. So, so catch this now. 
God says that his plan for his people, and that includes you and me to this day, is he wants to save you, change you, help you discover your purpose, and know you and love you and guide you personally. It's what God's plan is for your life. It's what his plan is for every human being. Not, not a plan whether you should be a doctor or a lawyer or a mom or an athlete or who you should marry or where you should live. That We could talk about that later. That's specific plans. But God has a plan, an overarching plan for every single one of you and every single one of me. And his plan is he wants to save you. He wants to change you. He wants, you to, help you, he wants to help you discover your purpose. And he wants to know you and love you and guide you personally. Now, it doesn't necessarily work, you know, exactly step one, step two, step three, step four, because the Holy Spirit's involved. But there is kind of a flow to it, that before God can change you, he's gotta save you. Because if you try to change before you have Jesus, it's just kind of a moral perfecting, right? Or before he can help you discover your purpose, he's gotta get the old way of thinking out of you because you gotta see yourself differently to, to do what God wants you to do. So there is kind of a flow to it. So what I would like for you to do right now is just to take a moment as you see this and you see God's purpose and plan for your life, that he wants to save you and change you and help you discover your purpose and know you and love you and guide you personally, I want you to just take a moment. I'm gonna give us a little bit of silence for about 10, 15 seconds. Throw that back up there for me. And I want you to just take a moment and assess, like, where are you? If this is God's plan for your life, where are you in this process? Has he saved you? Has he changed you? Is he changing you? Has he helped you discover your purpose? Do you feel like you're making a difference with your life? Would you say you know him personally and intimately? Let's just take a moment and just think about where you are in this process. You got it? Now, the reason that I'm, I want you to know this is because we are passionate at Hope City Church about this idea. Our elders, our staff, our leaders, we shared some of this in August, but that we don't want you to just be a church attender. We don't want you to just be a Christian. We want you to be changed and, and radically transformed into a new person. And we want God to use your life and you feel like you're, you're living your purpose and making a difference and knowing him intimately. This is one of the reasons we launched our Deep Change class. We actually started this class two weeks ago. We have 25 or 26 people who are going through that class and and, and, and our, really our goal is we want everybody to go through it. But if you would say that you want to experience God and be changed at the deepest levels of your soul, if that's something you wanna experience, and I wanna encourage you to, to join the waiting list for the February class. You can do that on the church app and, and you can take the time to do that. But if you're here today and you would say, you know what, Jason, I, I do feel stuck. I do feel trapped in a life of sin. I do feel trapped in a life that I don't want, a life that is killing me physically and mentally and emotionally. I want you to listen to me. God wants to get you out. Amen. He wants you to have an exodus, an escape. He wants to help you to break away and to be free. So as we get started today, we start at the very beginning, which is always the best place to start. We find God's people living as slaves in Egypt. 
The verses that Don read for us in the end of chapter two, it just said that they continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God and God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. And I've just kind of grinned all week as I've read this verse. He knew it was time to act. I've just kind of heard this dump bum bum right after that. Because like, if God decides it's time to act, Somebody, something about to go down. I mean, God's going to drop the hammer, and he does through the plagues, and we'll talk about that later in the series. But I think the most helpful way to begin Exodus is with a little history lesson because it's gonna help everything else that we read moving forward make sense. You guys know I'm passionate about helping the Bible make sense. So I wanna take just a, a little bit of time just a few minutes to explain how we got to where we are. And if you're a note taker, now would be a good time to take notes, okay? Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. The first five books in the Old Testament are called the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, uh, written by Moses, most likely, we think, and, and, and kind of gives the account of God establishing his, his people, and so what happens in Exodus is really just a continuation of the story in Genesis. And the story in Genesis predominantly is about one family, a family that's handpicked by God. Now, in the beginning of Genesis, you get some creation, then you get a little bit of uh, Adam and Eve, you get a little bit of Noah. But by the time you get to chapters 11 and 12, you get to the story of a family. And the patriarch of this family is a guy named Abraham. You've probably heard about him, Father Abraham. But when you first meet Abraham, he's not a father, he's just Abraham. And God makes a promise to Abraham. God shows up in Genesis 12 and he says to Abraham, he makes this promise and he says that starting with you, Abraham, that I am going to create a great nation. In other words, he's saying to Abraham, you're gonna have kids who have kids who have kids and I'm gonna make your family tree into this great nation and those people I'm gonna claim as my people. Your family's my family. These are my people. And and I'm gonna take those people and I am going to put them in the perfect land to live in. We call it the promised land because God promised it. I'm gonna give them this this perfect land to live in. That's what he told them. And listen, those are two great promises that God says. God says, I'm gonna give you, you know, uh, your family's gonna become a nation. They're my people and I'm gonna give you a great land. But that's not it. Those are great promises, but there was one more. God made one more promise to Abraham, and it was the best part. And I wanna just read the last little part of it to you so you can see the words in Genesis 17. Hey, God made this promise three different times. In Genesis 17, the last time, this is what he said. He said, I'm gonna give you the entire land. That's the land he promised to you and your descendants. It's gonna be your possession forever. And then look at the last little statement he makes there. The last promise he makes, he says, and I will be their God. I'll be there, God. This has been blowing my mind all week. I know, I know you don't, it's not blowing your mind. That's okay, we'll get there in a second. But this has been blowing my mind all week because we live in this world that like God's kind of overarching and God we trust, he's on the money, you know, he's in the Pledge of Allegiance. I mean, we kind of live in this world where like, you know, God's kind of like overarching everything. But when God was saying these words, <laughs> he wasn't overarching everything. Now he was, but nobody knew it. Because in this time, you know, there was a God of fire, a God of harvest, a God of pregnancy, a God of war, a God of water. There was gods for everything. 
And then Abraham had a God. He was the God of Abraham. So you're down, you know, at the, at the Ford plant and somebody says, you know, Abraham. You say, I know Abraham. Abraham's got a God. You heard about Abraham's God? Abraham tried to tell you about his God yet? He's got a God. It's the God of Abraham. Well, Abraham goes on to have a son named Isaac and Isaac has a son named Jacob and everybody's got their gods. There's hundreds of gods. Everybody talks about the gods, but there's this one family that has their own God. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yeah, that's good. They were not living in this world where everyone was aware of the God that we know of. God showed up and he picked this heathen Abraham. The Bible says there's no reason he picked Abraham. Like Abraham didn't have any credentials to be picked. He picked him out of grace. He picks Abraham and he says, I'm gonna give you a family that's gonna be a great nation and a great land and I will be their God. This is the promise that he made. We call it a promise, but God didn't call it a promise. God called it a covenant. And a covenant is different than a promise. Promise is nice, a covenant's better. Which, by the way, when you got married, you didn't just make a promise, you made a covenant. That's a separate sermon, okay? God made a covenant. And I think the best definition I've ever read for covenant comes out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. And this is what it says. It says that a covenant is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever promise. Like promises, it's nice. Thank you for the promise. But a covenant is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever promise. And God shows up to Abraham and he says, I'm gonna make you a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking always and forever promise. I'm gonna give you a family that's gonna turn into a nation. I'm gonna give you a land that's the best land you could ever have. And I will be your God. And so Abraham uh, ends up having a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. But one day in, in this incredibly um, spiritual, personal moment between Jacob and God or an angel, we don't know. Jacob's name was changed and his name was changed by God from Jacob to Israel. Well, Jacob, now named Israel, had 12 sons and the 11th of the 12 sons was a guy named Joseph. Maybe you've heard of him. Long story short, Joseph was sold as a slave. He ends up in a place called Egypt, and eventually he saves his family, all of his family from a famine and he moves them to Egypt with him to live there. And so that's why it says at the beginning of Exodus that Don read to us today, that these are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with their family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Glad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. Are you still with me? Okay. You're gonna dominate Jewish history at lunch today, okay? <laughs> Call your buddies from Valley View, go to lunch, and dominate Jewish history, okay? Oh, no, they're probably pretty strong. But anyway, so um, <laughs> long story, strong Sunday school. So anyway, long story short, okay, here we are at the beginning of Exodus. And the reason I, I tell you all that is because you start this story and it's like, it's this, you know, family tree. And you're like, well, why does it matter? Well, it matters a great deal because God made a promise to Abraham. And now this 
single or married guy with no kids. Now there's a family tree of 70. And this 70 over the next 350 to 400 years becomes 600,000 people. And they become the nation of Israel. Now, they're not called the nation of Israel because they lived in a place called Israel. They're called the nation of Israel because their father's name was Israel. You with me? So there's 12 sons, 12 tribes uh, from the nation of Israel. But Joseph and all his brothers and, and, and Israel, they've all died. And things have gotten really bad. They are living in misery, being treated terribly. God's people are enslaved. And they cried out to him, and God helped them. But he didn't help them because he was nice. And he didn't help them because he felt sorry for them. The Bible says that God helped them because he made a promise. He made a promise. Now, as a parent, here's what I know about promises. The only thing a kid ever remembers is what you promised you would do. Isn't that true, parents? Dad, you promised you'd shoot basketball. Dad, you promised you'd, you'd watch this movie. Dad, you promised you'd look at every one of my Pokemon cards again. Which, by the way, thanks for the hundreds of cards y'all gave him for Pastor's Appreciation. We really appreciate that. A kid never forgets what their parents said they would do. And so they cry out to God. We read it, Don read it to us. They cry out to God because it's so bad. And the Bible says that God remembered his promise to his people. Now, when the Bible says God remembered, it doesn't mean he forgot. It means, it's, it's, it means it more in the sense of like a recommitment to his promise, his never ending, never going back on, unending promise. He shows up to help. Now, here's the question that needs to be asked. Why in the world does that matter, Jason? Like, we're 20 minutes in. What's the point? Great question. God made a promise to Abraham 4,500 years ago. What's, what's the big deal? Well, I love that question. And I want to just read you one more passage of Scripture. I know we've read so much Scripture today, but we're, just, we're laying a framework. We're laying a groundwork here. And, and it's in the New Testament. It's in the book of Galatians. And we spent some time two years ago reading through Galatians. But I want to read this verse to you again Uh, chapter three, verse 29, the apostle Paul writing to a bunch of non-Jewish people. They're not Jewish. They have no connection to Abraham, no family tree, no DNA. They're just Christians. And the apostle Paul says to these non-Jewish Christians in verse 29 of chapter three, and now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and best part, God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. This is, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable that now those of us whose faith is in Jesus Christ, we belong to Christ, that every promise that God made to Abraham belongs to me. It belongs to you if our faith is in Christ. This means that the same God that made that promise to be with Abraham promises to be with you and with me. That the same God who heard their groaning hears you when you groan. The same God who sent them a deliverer is the same God who sent you a deliverer named Jesus. The same God who promised them a promised land promises you a promised land in heaven. 
The same God who kept his end of the promise, even though they kept breaking their end of the promise, is the same God who keeps keeping his promise to you, even though you keep breaking your promises to him. The same God that let them be defeated when they turned their backs so he could win their heart back to them is the same God who lets you be defeated when you turn your back on him so that he can win your heart back. He was their God and he's your God. The promise that God made about the people, that matters. The promise God made about the land, not so much. But that third promise, he said, I will be their God. That's true for you. He's your God. He's your God. You have a God. And he's not everybody's God. He's your God. He's the God of his people. And if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you are his people. You have a God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is the God of Jason. It's the God of Bob. It's the God of Brad. It's the God of, Bob. It's the God of Harley. It's a God. The God. The creator God. The God says, I'm going to be your God so this first week, this is where we're starting. This is our takeaway. God is committed to you. God is committed to you. Please don't rush past that. The God is committed to you. But he's not committed to you because he's nice or he's not committed to you because he feels sorry for you. He's committed to you because he promised he would be. That when you're having the worst month of your life, he's committed to you, he's your God. When your kids are struggling or you're struggling with self-doubt or anxiety or depression, he's committed to you. When there's no money in your bank account, he's committed to you. When it feels like the world's falling apart, he's committed to you. And let me tell you what he didn't promise. He did not promise that tomorrow would be easy. He didn't promise he would take away all your trouble. He didn't promise that he would solve all your problems, but he did promise he'd be your God. And he is committed to you. The same God who was on their side is on your side. The same God who made the ocean split will get there. That's your God. The same God who, who brought down the walls of Jericho, that's your God. The same God who provided water from a rock when they were thirsty, that's your God. The same God who provided manna and quail and bread to eat when they were hungry, that's your God. The same God that was with them, that made mountains shake and Moses' face glow, that's your God. That's your God. And he is unending, never stopping, committed to you. I wanna say one more thing, and this goes against our culture, this idea of fairness, but it's important, so we gotta say it. God is not committed to everyone. He's not. He loves everyone, but he's not committed to everyone. You know who he's committed to? His people. Listen, I love your kids. I love when they score in soccer. I love when they get an A. Not as much as when my kids score and when my kids get an A. You know why? Because I love your kids, but I'm committed to my kids. 
You with me, parents? You know what I'm saying? Hey, no offense to your kids. I hope they have a great life, but I'm committed to my kids. Same with God. He loves everyone. Doesn't want anyone to perish. Doesn't want anyone to, to, to fall away. He loves the world, John 3, 16, but he is committed to his people. You know what this means? This is so good. This means that you get to remind God about his promise to you. Tomorrow morning, man, life sucks. I don't know. Whatever's going on. Maybe your car gets stolen. Maybe you break your ankle. I don't know. You know, you know, you get to say to God, God, you promised to be committed to me. You didn't promise my car wouldn't get and get stolen. You didn't promise I'd never break an ankle, but you promised you'd be my God. And you promised you'd be committed to me. And so God, I'm just, I'm just reminding you that you promised you'd be, be committed to me. And he's, and he's committed to you. He, he's your God. All along, I've just, just been walking my house with this, with this grin on my face. Because I knew it, but I didn't know, know it. You know what I mean? God love, loves me. God loves you too. And I knew he was my God. Then it hit me this week. Wait a second. No, he's my God. He's committed to me. Like, I think it's cool that Abraham had a God, but so do I. Because he's my God. And he's your God. And if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you have a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever promise. And I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow and I don't know how bad it's gonna be or how good it's gonna be or what's gonna come out of it, but here's what I know. He's committed to you. He can't not be committed to you because he promised and the same God who promised Abraham, he showed up later and promised Isaac. He showed up later and promised Jacob. He showed up later and promised Moses. The same God made a promise to you. He's your God. He's committed. So I'm gonna pray for us. And uh, we're gonna take communion and, and sing together and pray together. And man, when you're, um, when you're dipping that bread in that juice, here's what I want you to, to think about. I want you to think about the fact that God is so committed to you that he sent his son to die. That's how committed he is. That's how committed he is to his people. That's how bad he wants to be your God, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for his body to be broken, that's the bread, for his blood to be shed, that's the juice, so that he could win your heart save you, free you, redeem you, and have you be his people. So as we're taking that communion today, man, what an opportunity to say, God, thank you for being so committed to me that you sent your son, Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for being our God. Thank you for being so committed that you sent your one and only son. God, there have been a lot of people in my life who've told me they love me. There have been a lot of people in my life who've told me they're committed to me. A lot of them have let me down. Some of them have tried their best, but they can't, they can't love me like you love me. They can't be committed like you are because they're not God, but you are. And you made a never-ending, 
unstoppable, always and forever promise to be on my side, to be my God and to be committed. And so God, I don't have to wonder if that's true. I get to look at Jesus. So thank you for Jesus. Pray for every person in the room who's going through a tough time. You never promised to take away all our problems, but you did promise to be committed. And I just pray to God that we would be reminded today that you're our God. Always and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.